following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN. You are home for K-State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Well, we've got a plenty to dig into after having the Royals yesterday and well, it's kind of been that kind of a week where there's a lot going on and we've just not had a lot of time to talk about it. But before we get there, fire along I-70 near Fort Riley. Be prepared. It's backing up traffic and causing issues near Fort Riley on I-70. So be forewarned that uh, that is being dealt with currently by multiple agencies and we will continue to uh, keep an eye on that as best we can about 245 they say that this uh, fire started and raced to the south towards the interstate no less so fair warning out there and uh, yeah if you can avoid doing anything in which you're lighting a fire please do so (laughs) This is the weirdest dang weather, and we talked about it this morning. Freeze warning tonight. <clears throat> That's what I was I was just saying. It's so weird being yeah. in a red flag warning and a freeze warning basically at the same time. Welcome to dry April in Kansas. <clears throat> well, now, that, that behind us, again, we'll continue to monitor, but if you're out on I-70, don't be surprised. Traffic's going to be a mess near Fort Riley for you this afternoon. Top of the hour news from CBS. And I've known this for a while, that Kit Kats in Japan are a different beast than what they are in the United States. By the way, I'm Troy Coverdale. Mitch Fortner is out today. He's in New Orleans. Dave G. is out today. I believe he's talking up a storm on the PA at a Manhattan High softball game, if I remember correctly. CBS News at the top of the hour pointed out that there is going to be released in America a limited edition blueberry muffin Kit Kat candy bar. That's right. Blueberry muffin candy bar they've been doing a lot of weird things with oh you just wait like you just wait till you hear the list i've got you think you think that they've been doing a lot of weird in america the japanese list will throw you completely off i'm not kidding so starting wednesday it'll be available at retailers nationwide cake batter flavors blueberry flavors and the graham cookie pieces so not even truly chocolate. No, I don't think so. But unless unless it's white chocolate that they're combining it right. with. Right. I mean, candies have been doing like birthday cake flavor for sure. a while, so that one's not egregious. No, it's it's not egregious. And as I said, <clears throat> until you hear the list here, let's see. When you get into tea flavored Kit Kats in Japan. It makes you set up. And then as you go down the list and see veggie Kit Kats. Cucumber. Ooh, no. (laughs) Beet. Candied sweet potato. Sweet corn. 
I've seen sodas that do the same thing. Uh, Jones. <laughs> yeah. Jones with their turkey, uh, with their Thanksgiving dinner Ugh. soda. <laughs> A proud Portland company, by the way, where, see, you know, here in the Midwest, we're used to keep Austin weird. No, it's keep Portland weird. Yeah. <laughs> right across the street, that that is painted on a building right across the street from Voodoo Donuts where you could still be buying in line to buy donuts for a half an hour to 45 minutes to buy donuts at 1045 at night on a Saturday. I'm not kidding. I've seen it. <laughs> Edamame soybean. Kit Kats. Why, why vegetable and, and like, you know, chocolate Red candy? Red bean soup. Mm, no, just doesn't make sense. Sesame seed bun. Kit Kat. Okay. <laughs> Bakeable custard, Kit Kat. Uh, Sakura sake. So at least, you know, a little of the alcohol thrown in. They got the wasabi Kit Kat over there? Uh, no, they do not. No, not yet. Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. Uh, Chocolatory sublime matcha. That's a lot of words. <laughs> oh, Matcha green tea, matcha taste, the power of matcha green tea, leaf taste, strong matcha taste, Yuji Matcha from Kyoto. That's one flavor. Oh, that's all? This is one, yeah. Yeah, that's all <laughs> listed under one of them here. Mm-hmm. Um, black chocolate. Now, that, I would be intrigued. But I'm also a fan of dark chocolate, so um, let's see here. Banana. Banana Kit Kat. Kiwi fruit. <clears throat> See, now we're getting into a territory where it's not Salt as and lemon. Salt and lemon? Mm-hmm. Mm. Apple vinegar. Oh, no. See, it just got worse. <laughs> Soy sauce. Oh, I stand corrected. There is a wasabi one. Perfect. There we go. Wasabi Tamayura Hunton Suzuka Kanto edition. That's what I thought. I was like, there's no way we can get away without there being a wasabi flavor. <sighs> so, no, the blueberry cake or blueberry muffin uh, Kit Kat in America is tame, folks. Very tame, comparatively. Good grief. The top story of the week that we've not really even been able to delve into as it pertains to k-state athletics and on the bigger picture the big 12 is the fact that commissioner bob bullsby will be stepping down and we briefly got to touch on it earlier this week of course uh mitch leaving uh DY in on uh, on wednesday with us we just had a lot of things going on and just hadn't had the opportunity to dig deep into that i want to get into it at probably a little deeper than uh than what we will be able to but i found it interesting to go over some of the ideas that people have for a potential commissioner going forward there's also a little bit of a spin that i saw out today and i'm not sure how accurate it really is but it got brought up by an oklahoma state blog site that they're not so sold on whether bullsby as was as blindsided about the oklahoma texas move 
last summer as he has said he was, that their sources are telling them that he had actually had a couple of warnings from those tied to Oklahoma State that there was something up. And I, I find that interesting, given that we've all kind of put to rest the Oklahoma-Texas situation and the fight that ensued and just exactly what the timeline was, this would be a huge alteration to that timeline and would, in fact, make things look worse for Bob Bullsby. Now, again, you can take that for what it's worth, uh, and if you do some digging, you can probably find that site. Like I said, it's the only place that I've seen even broach that subject here in the days after Bullsby has stepped down. There's, of course, plenty of question whether conference presidents were involved in beginning to push him towards the door, thus the retirement announcement this week. It's a very short time frame that the Big 12 is wanting to operate on. 90 days to identify who their new commissioner is going to be. And I noted the other afternoon in our discussion with Dave G on Wednesday, in fact, that we're at a point now where in the last five years, all of the power five commissioners will have changed over. Larry Scott's no longer at the Pac-12, ousted finally after running up trillion, well, what felt like trillions in debt to them to the point that the Pac-12 is going to go to uh, work from home predominantly with its employees. You have Kevin Warren having taken over uh, for Delaney up at the uh, Big Ten. You have the ACC having gained a new commissioner in the past couple of years. The SEC was the one that is now the longest tenured of the bunch once Bob Bowlesby steps down. It becomes a very interesting point in where we are in college athletics amidst all of the other things that are going on. Name, image, likeness, the college football playoff, TV rights and the SEC's new rights deal that goes into effect in 25, the 2024-25 year. The move of Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, The the fact that the NCAA has all but waved the white flag when it comes to actually trying to exert any power. Um, And knowing that if it does try that the Power Five may completely nuke the NCAA tournament in the process, much less the organization as a whole. Yeah, there, there's a discussion topic for a day right there that the NCAA's power has been whittled away so badly. And while we as K-Staters and others that would like to see Kansas face a bit of punishment for its ties to Adidas and the Bagman scandal, what really is the NCAA going to do about it? Are they really going to punish a Power Five member the way that, oh, maybe they should? 
<clears throat> because the moment that they do, here comes the discussion again on whether or not the NCAA is even needed, especially now that NIL is in place and the transfer portal and all of these things. Really, at this point, all the NCAA is good for is managing a transfer portal. <laughs> That's how messed up and, and a basketball tournament. And some of the other tournaments that they do. They have nothing to do with college football, thanks to everything that has taken place since 1985 regarding college football and the development of ESPN as an entity. The fact that the schools and the conferences and the various consortiums hold on to their rights rather than the NCAA having the right to determine who appears on television. So it is a it is a, another watershed moment in college athletics where the Big 12 Conference now finds itself and the Power Fives as a group find themselves even with Bob Bowlesby stepping down because it means that it is a very, very inexperienced group in some cases of administrators and then you get mike's live down at the sec and for crying out loud i mean is is there is there anybody who's got a better handle on what's going on in all of it at this point you know i, I saw someone mention in the discussion that we almost feel like we're going towards everything being the sec and the big 10 and those will be the two super conferences and yet, Kevin Warren, the commissioner at the Big Ten, has done himself no favors with a number of things that have gone on, even if you just go back to the fight that he had among his own membership regarding playing football and coronavirus, and how the Big Ten was prepared to scuttle the entire season and Nebraska disagreed vehemently. Ohio State disagreed behind the scenes. And they were able to bully their way towards having a season by arguing that the vote wasn't exactly what Kevin Warren had said it was and that things weren't on the up and up with all of what had taken place behind the scenes. So even there, you're going, okay, well, if those are going to be the two super conferences, well, that means the SEC is the conference because there's at least leadership there. That's where this is going to be so very interesting for the Big 12 going forward. Having to figure out and having the right person in place and not making a mistake, and they're wanting to do it in 90 days, that is that is a tall task. So coming up in about 440-ish, we're going to dig into some of the names that have been floated as potential replacements for Bob Bowlesby as commissioner in the Big 12. When we come back, though, we'll touch on some thoughts from Wednesday. We didn't get a chance to dig into them directly. We heard 
Derek Young's view of what was said by defensive coordinator Joe Klanderman on Wednesday at uh, the uh, Veneer Complex. We'll hear from Klanderman himself when we continue. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Sorry. Expectations. Troy Coverdale in on the game this afternoon. A reminder, drivers that are eastbound on I-70 at Junction City near Fort Riley, you're going to find yourself down to one lane of traffic. Looking right now at the traffic camera from mile marker 301, that's where that uh, stray fire has gotten down literally roadside. And so you have fire engines that are lined in the far right lanes and on the shoulder of I-70 along that stretch of roadway around mile marker 301. So before you get to the hill and uh, exit 303, if you're headed eastbound, you're going to be down to one lane for quite a bit. So be patient. Stay with us. That's the best we can tell you right there is that uh, they continue to work on extinguishing that grass fire that broke out at about 2.45 this afternoon right there along I-70 and uh, Fort Riley area. On Wednesday, defensive coordinator Joe Klanderman of the K-State Wildcats had the opportunity to meet with the media. This is part of a running batch of uh, conversations that have been held as the program readies for what will be the finale of its spring practice sessions coming up a week from tomorrow. That will be a session that is open to the public and Klanderman addressing the media for the first time since uh, spring drills got underway was asked to address what he's been seeing in spring practice from the guys that have transferred into the program for the spring. Excited about Will Honus. Um, now he's a non-contact guy right now. Uh, I've seen plenty of evidence of his physicality on his on his game tape at Nebraska, but we're excited about him. We think he's going to be in the mix. He's doing some seven-on-seven seven things and um, some individual things and just his his uh, capacity to learn is incredible. Really excited about him. Really excited about Josh Hayes. You know, of course, I've had background with Josh, and I knew what kind of competitor he was. And you know, he's going to be uh, very much in the mix. Um, excited about Kobe Savage. Um, he's another guy that uh, has exceeded expectations and will will very much be in the mix. Uh, I think you know Sean Robinson. We're extremely excited about. He's another one that's been nicked up a little bit. But in the limited time that we've seen him, you know, he flashes like crazy um, as, a, as just a super athlete that also incredibly intelligent. And you can tell he's played a lot of football, physical. Um, so I think we've hit on everybody that we brought in. And I think you'll see all those guys on the field next year. And as a defensive coordinator, when you're down so many guys on the defensive line, what do you do during practice each day to get something out of that group? Well, I, if you were to cut the question off as, what do you do in practice every day? I'd say I stand like this sometimes. But, uh, no, uh, you know, <clears throat> Coach Kleiman, again, you know, it's, it's his um, methodology of, uh, you know, we're going to go team for a certain period of time that those guys can handle, and then we're going to do a special teams drill where we can maybe give those guys a blow. And then we're going to go team, and then we're going to go field goal. We're going to go, you know, so we're not, you know, just taxing those guys for an hour and 45 minutes consecutively. You know, we're trying to get those guys where they can, they can manage. Um, but... Uh, um, you know, we're, we're 
aware of that individual and Coach Wyatt and Coach Tuiasopo are doing a good job of just taking care of those guys as an individual. You can't, you know, in the individual time that you do have, you can't just go bashing heads with each other. You know, so it's been a lot more technical. The other thing that I think we're doing a really good job of is, you know, we've got 60 linemen, seven really, that are in the mix that are, that are out. And we're doing a number of walkthroughs. We're doing a number of things that uh, are keeping those guys engaged even though they're not getting reps. And so we're, you know, they're seeing pictures, they're getting lined up, they're hearing close calls, they're running paths on blitzes, they're just not hitting anybody. And so we're, we're um, those guys will be ready to go in the summer, we'll be full speed again. What's your assessment of guys like Trevor and Nelson that you moved to defensive tackle this spring? <laughs> I appreciate them. Uh, I'll tell you that. I appreciate those guys like, uh, like you wouldn't believe. We wouldn't be able to practice without them, you know, and, and the unselfishness that those guys um, – have to, to, to do what we ask them to do. That's what this program's all about. Because quite literally, we would not be able to practice if those guys wouldn't uh, have, have made the sacrifice that they did, even though maybe it wasn't in their best interest. I think they're having a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a little less accountability with those guys, they have a little more leeway to make mistakes. But um, uh, couldn't tell you how much I appreciate those guys. That's what Wildcat football is all about. Is there any one thing that gives you consternation each spring, year after year? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I spring philosophically to me is, is about, um, you know, again, evaluating your personnel, getting that part down. Um, it's about test driving new schemes. It's about polishing up some things that maybe you'd want to change from the, the year previous. Um, and, uh, getting those guys prepared for the summer really. And, and so I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, I think we're right on target with a lot of things. And, and it isn't necessarily to me about winning practice. Of course, it's competitive and all that stuff, but it's about teaching concepts. And I think, uh, you know, there's going to be position switches that are going to happen in spring. There's going to be position switches that are going to happen in the summertime. There's going to be things that happen uh, in the fall when injuries come up. And so, um, you know, I, I don't get too worked up about the results of, um, uh, of every drill uh, I just want to see guys compete. I want to see guys play full speed. I want to get our base nuts and bolts stuff uh, in terms of what we believe in, running to the football, playing with physicality, running through leverage. I want to get those things taught to everybody so that when they get together as a true team in the fall, you know, once transfers come in or whatever, however the team gets formulated, uh, everybody understands exactly what we want and we can go full speed ahead starting August 1st or whenever. From a schematic standpoint with the three-man front, was there any missteps that you guys made a year ago that you guys have been able to clean up? Looking back at where we were a year ago into where we are now, it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, it, it quite literally was trial and error, you know, with, with blitz paths, with how we want to cover things down, with maybe some of the techniques that we played. And a lot of those modifications came along as the fall went along. And I think now we're able to actually teach what we believe in or what we've come to believe in, if that makes any sense. And so um, and now we're just trying to push the package into, um, you know, one of the things that, that I looked at in the offseason was, you know, we weren't as good on third down as we wanted to be. And, um, you know, that, that could come from a lot of different reasons. You know, we're losing one-on-ones, we're not executing on third down, whatever. One of the probably hidden reasons is we had a ton, probably as much as anybody in the country, of third and one-to-twos. And just quite honestly, the conversion rate of third and one-to-twos is much higher than the conversion rate of third and three-to-seven. So what I, what I uh, came to realize is maybe we weren't quite as 
um, uh, disruptive on base downs as we needed to be. Maybe we need to pressure more. Maybe we need to find different looks where we can attack the line of scrimmage a little bit more so that we can get into some of those longer yard situations and get off the field a little bit more. But I'm not willing to do that at the expense of giving up explosive plays. And so we're trying to find that happy medium right now. And with Daniel Green, what kind of an increased level of play and level of leadership are you looking for from him? He's been incredible. He's been incredible this spring. Where he is now as to, as to where he was a year ago, where we didn't really know, right? We didn't know what we had. We thought we had a talented kid, but he had never been in the spotlight. And now just how he's bringing along some of those young linebackers and, heck, for that matter, bringing along some of the, the guys in the back end, the safeties, is, is outstanding. I'm very, very pleased with, with Daniel. Kind of piggyback off what you've kind of learned after a year within the new scheme. Are you able to learn a little bit more too, and how to recruit to it a little bit? Exactly better? right. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's um, you know it's unfortunate that that we, we were not set up that way, and we won't be set up that way for for probably three years. But I think um, you know we're, we're figuring out what body types we need. You know, we need more length. I think you know everybody wants length, but you know, quite honestly. Our linebackers are going to have to take on more blocks in this than they did in, in what we were previously doing. And, and you could probably get away with a shorter guy in the box because he just never was going to be put in those situations where he'd have to extend on a blocker and do some of those things in a close quarter. Now, um, you know, we see, you know, inside linebackers what, what the body types are that we want. We, we see uh, what, what skill sets a, a safety needs to have that, uh, you know, a year ago, you know, we were still dabbling in the four down and the three down. We were just looking for dang good players. And that's not going to change. But, but there are certain things that go along with being a free safety. I have to have man coverage ability. I have to be able to play a half field. I have to be able to play in the post. Um, you know, we didn't maybe know all those things um, at this time a year ago. So it's definitely changed our trajectory in recruiting. That's a big admission right there from uh, defensive coordinator Joe Klanerman in that it could be as many as three years really until that everybody – uh, in there, in this system, understands that 3-4, or is specifically recruited to be a part of the 3-4 defense that the Cats have implemented going into uh, last year and then expect to have in place again going forward. That's uh, K-State Defense Coordinator Joe Klanerman from Wednesday meeting with the media out at the Veneer Complex. Coming back, we'll dig back into the Big 12 Commissioner discussion. Just who should be a replacement for Bob Bowlesby. There's some interesting names that were bandied about by the folks over at The Athletic. We'll touch on those when we continue on the game. Troy Coverdale in on the game. Again, if you are eastbound, Along I-70 near mile marker 301, Junction City near Fort Riley, you're going to be down the one lane for a bit, for a good bit. There's still smoke coming off of that grass fire that got up against the shoulder of the highway or pretty close to it. And as such, fire engines and other emergency personnel remain on scene and have you down to one lane, the far left lane, as you're heading eastbound on I-70 from about mile marker 300, definitely uh, past 301. And as you hit that curve coming up the hill to uh, exit 303, you should be aware that it's going to be a bit of a slog yet this afternoon for you. 
Mitch on vacation. Dave G's enjoying the day outside, we hope. Hopefully Manhattan High's getting a win out of it while he's there, too. But that's another story altogether. So it's just me and Sage today. What in the world? How did this pan out this way? Well, it's kind of like yesterday afternoon. Everybody bailed as soon as the Royals' first pitch was thrown. <laughs> we don't need those other guys. It's okay. There you go. That's, that's the way to look at it. We opened the show, well, after I got off onto the tangent about Kit Kats in Japan versus in America. Listen to the podcast. It'll make sense. Got to talking about the fact that Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby stepped down this week or will be officially stepping away, but announced his retirement. And Nicole Auerbach, Matt Fortuna, and Max Olson cover college sports for The Athletic, and they put together a very quick list of ideas for people who could be potential names for commissioner, some of whom already were being mentioned day of. Oliver Luck, who has involvement with the conference, previously had been the athletic director at at West Virginia. He also had spent time as the XFL commissioner and spent time as the NCAA's executive VP for regulatory affairs. He's a consultant right now for the Big 12. And so it would make a lot of sense for Luck to be involved in the discussions going forward. He also had had his name brought up when the Pac-12 was looking for its commissioner to replace Larry Scott here last year. There are some names that were surprising, though, as well to me on this list, and one that has local ties that I think folks would be very surprised about is current Washington State President, former K-State President Kirk Schultz. Now, let me qualify everything that I'm going to say here by noting this. I have been out of state up until last January. January 2021 is when my wife and I moved back to town. We had been in Colorado since 2002. So I was not here for the Kirk Schultz tenure as president at K-State. So the things that I know are specifically through various other channels, the discussions that I've had with friends, uh, media reports, different things along those lines. I have no hard and fast experience with Kirk Schultz. So I don't know what's accurate, what isn't accurate fully about his tenure here at K-State, other than I know that there are some who still view his tenure here at K-State as not having been successful, especially as it pertained to athletics, which, let's be perfectly honest, that was a case of the mistake of having John Curry as an athletic director. And, uh, you know, yeah, that even getting into that whole spin, just no, no. It's one of the reasons why it intrigued me a few years ago when, well, now four years ago, 
when Schultz's then athletic director at Washington State wanted to hire Cammie Etheridge as the women's basketball coach for the Cougs following her time at Northern Colorado. Why? Well, Schultz was in charge at K-State at the time that Etheridge, Deb Patterson, were forced out. Cammie served as, as Deb's top assistant, as we all know. And so it, that was a surprise to me, that it would be Washington State where they would end up leaving Northern Colorado, because you would think in that situation that a university president would be looking at their experience and saying, no, that's not the person we want. So that tells me right there, it was all about the athletic director at the time in terms of all of the drama that surrounded the women's basketball program at the time. If you are hiring someone who was fired from the place that you were president at by your athletic director while you were serving as president... If you turn around and hire them at another place, I mean, that that tells me that you have actually got a pretty good bond with them, and it was your athletic director who made the call. So, Schultz is a very intriguing name on this list to me, just from the aspect that I don't know all of the history here, but the things that I had heard were not positive. That said... The way it was presented by the folks at The Athletic is that he's gone through a commissioner change with the Pac-12, went through, of course, the upheaval that was going on with the Big 12 when everybody was bailing, including Nebraska and A&M and Mizzou, and he understands that the Big 12 needs a leader, this is the direct quote, who can garner support across the membership and also work successfully with peers in other leagues. Schultz has long been known to be plugged in on the athletic sides of campus, something not all presidents are. Multiple sources said he would be their first call for this position, end quote. That's what The Athletic found. As I said, intriguing. A very intriguing name to me. And... That's one where I'm going to have to do some homework (laughs) before I can say that Kirk Schultz should be the Big 12 commissioner going forward. The name that got thrown out that just absolutely makes you laugh would be one that would make sense if it wasn't for what had taken place in the last 12 months. Joe Castiglione at Oklahoma actually would be a very good candidate to be a conference commissioner. The man has been tremendous as an athletic director over the years. He's well-respected. He's been on the prominent committees. He's been at OU for... Nearly 25 years. That Boy, that doesn't seem right, does it? Remember when he was at Mizzou? But of course, there's no way in H-E double hockey sticks that Joe Castiglione is going to be considered as a potential replacement for Bob Bowlesby as commissioner of the Big 12. Unless 
And I don't know how in the world he would sell this to his fan base at OU. But if you would see Joe Castiglione as the commissioner of the Big 12, wouldn't you think that Oklahoma would be staying in the Big 12? Just a thought that came to mind here in the midst of reading this. Like I said, it surprised me that they even floated the name out. One that also surprised me a bit, given that there are factions at Texas Tech that aren't always the most positive about Kirby Hoket. But his name came up in a number of the conversations that the folks at The Athletic had with people on Tuesday. The former Wildcat was chair of the college football playoff selection committee for two years. He was named the Athletic Director of the Year in 2018 by NACDA. He's overseen massive facility upgrades. He's also been in a position where he's had to deal with football inconsistency. How about we put it at that? And having to make a coaching change after a near national title winning coach elected to bail to go back to his alma mater in the same conference. So it will be curious to see how this goes forward. Greg Byrne at Alabama was brought up as a potential. That's a name that I like. For the aspect that you are talking about the guy currently who oversees an athletic department that has one of the top teams in the nation in terms of football, a nationally ranked basketball program again, one that's been revived under Nate Oates, raised a lot of money, and again has been prominent in leadership roles, but also understands the Big 12 footprint, His dad was Bill Byrne, the former athletic director at Nebraska and then Texas A&M. So that would be an interesting hire, especially in the aspect of his experience. But when you start to look at some of the other names that are brought up, there are some very interesting potentials there, some that... You, you just scratch your head about Val Ackerman is the Big East commissioner. No football experience whatsoever. She's the former WNBA commissioner. Her strength lies in the fact that she is a basketball first commissioner. That's why the Big East hired her. But one that has gotten brought up that would also make waves would be the current Associate Commissioner and Senior Woman Administrator at the SEC, Tiffany Daniels. She's been there since 2013. Sports Business Journal named her a game changer in 2021 and has been instrumental behind the scenes in elevating the conference, according to The Athletic. I wonder about potentially how much of a dark horse she may be. Jennifer Cohen at Washington is another one. But it will be interesting to see, again, how the conference goes forward. In some cases, there's the 
normal group, and in other cases, there's some different names there that could be intriguing if the conference elects to go with doing something that is out of the box. Say like the Pac-12 did in hiring George Kaliakov away from Las Vegas and MGM. Keep in mind that the Big 12, whomever comes in as the next commissioner, will have the challenge of dealing with an upcoming television negotiation. Rights come up again for the 2025-26 school year. And the field has changed so dramatically much now over the last three years. What are those negotiations going to look like? And who's going to be helming them for the Big 12 with Bob Bowlesby stepping down? Coming back, tough day for Tiger at Augusta. We'll get you the update.